We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Sock Talk Radio, the world for people who think. Hi, and welcome to Shot Talk Radio. I'm Joe Quinn, and with me this week are my co-hosts, Neil Radley. Hello, everyone. And Jason Martin. Hey, everybody. We are talking this week, as you've probably gathered, about um, pony jihadi terrorists and how ubiquitous they are these days. Fahadis? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're trying to actually get our, our guests on the line. We're having a few problems, so I'm going to hand over just for a second, to my capable co-host here, just to approach this topic a little bit before, while, while I get them on the line, okay? We're going to chew the fat here about the faux hotties. The faux hotties. Yeah, well, they're faux, but they're real, but they're faux. But here's the thing. The thing that really struck me in looking up, you know, the various different topics is how old this tactic really is. You know, Asian provocateurs all the way back to the labor movements, late, you know, 1800s, early 1900s. So this whole idea of the honey pot or the honey trap and the agent provocateur um, has been used since, well, since as long as far back as we can remember, really. And in this particular form, a notable example is probably like, say, for instance, Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah. Um, who was just suspiciously able to travel all over the place, defect to Russia, and then show up again in America as if nothing bad had happened. I mean, it was just really suspicious circumstances. <clears throat> so we definitely know that this is a, this is a well-established tactic. Yeah. How did the Warren Commission, did they even deal with that? Well, having Fast not read I mean. the report, I don't actually know, but I do know that it's... But that's, that's not exactly something you gloss over at the height of the Cold War. Well, I think that we shouldn't underestimate the Warren Commission's ability and, and American politicians' ability to gloss over things when they make these kind oh, of reports. I mean... Oh, man, I mean, <laughs> Building 7 in the 9-11 yeah. Commission report. Uh, what Building 7? Exactly. <laughs> it just didn't exist. Well, our guest today, um, he's made a really, really cool video. Um which you've probably seen by now, or if you haven't, make sure you check it out, um, about Samantha Luthwaite. Uh, you may be going, well, who is she? But I wouldn't blame you for not remembering because she's just one of many names that pop up as the face of terror in the last yeah. 10 years. But uh, our guest um, decided to pull on this thread and just follow what we've been told publicly about her and her involvement with various jihadi groups in the UK and in Africa. Yeah, I mean, the, the coolest thing about the video, though, is it was all told through official, completely you know, mainstream media reports, interviews, and accounts. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't bring any conspiracy stuff into it at right, all. It's right. just what they said right. uh, and what you can divine from it. And it, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 you get a lot of fun out of doing that, but more importantly, it, you, if you really did try to build a picture for yourself based on what you're being told, you would go insane if you tried to actually believe it. 
you, you cannot not look at each the, 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 at, at the, the, the sequence of things she's supposed to have done, things she's supposed to have said, places she's supposed to have been, and go, but that's impossible. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, because, I mean, uh, it's, it's really hard to... It's not... It's hard to explain why it's so impossible because you know, we've <clears throat> we have a generation now that has grown up and their their largest experience of the world is from movies and the plots of movies where these terrorists for some some strange reason he's the son of a goat herder that lives in this third world country but magically he can just get fake passports and travel around the world and fly on jets yeah. all, all the time right so we're kind of used to this narrative that's and that, that's really contradictory. Yeah, he's trained in jujitsu, yeah. uh, firearms, you name it, uh, espionage. By a bunch of Bedouins out in the desert or something, you know? Well, what's really implausible about this case study is that Samantha Luthwaite was a young woman, young mother, who had four kids in the course of being, a, I wouldn't say a mastermind of international terror, but we're certainly supposed to believe that she was a fairly high-level operative facilitator, at least financially. I mean, at one point in Africa, she's supposed to be the proprietor or the renter of up to 10 luxury pads in Nairobi at the Very time at the time of the, 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 what was it called? The Westgate Shopping, the Westgate shopping Mall oh, attack, yeah. attack massacre. Yeah, whatever. Which was a, yeah, she such had, a dubious event in its own right, but... I mean, the idea of a white, single mother running around Kenya, Somalia, with her four kids, you know? I mean, these are considered to be some of the most, you know, chaotic, destabilized areas on the African continent. She's running around with the Al-Shababa, whatever they are, you know, in, in Somaliland. And I'm just like, Al-Shabu. I mean, and aren't we supposed to be told on the other side that the, that Islam and Muslims specifically are like these ultra radical Sharia law women have to walk around with veils and stuff? I mean, and and they they're not supposed to talk to anybody with their husbands, and they're supposed to be sitting at home. And yet here's a white woman from the West going around organizing these terrorist attacks with these kind of like fundamentalist Islamists. I, I find that very incredible, to be quite honest based on the image that they present of these ultra-Sharia law, let's, you know, stone women for showing their ankles type of people, which, I mean, obviously, of course, it's not the truth either, but they're trying to present that particular angle. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, nothing that they say adds up. Well, on that front, um, that's the ostensible reason, raison d'etre for ISIS right. in Syria and Iraq, that our goal, our political aim is to have our own state, Islamic Caliphate, in which is Sharia law is implemented. Yeah. And I'm reading commentary from people who know something about Sharia law, and they're saying, these guys don't have a clue what Sharia law is about at all. And, and that's, that's easily shown in their behavior. Well, yeah. um, I mean, they are not Muslims. I mean, it's just the absolute plain fact. I mean... I don't buy it. I just simply don't buy it. You know, these guys, these guys have all the markings of a band of psychopathic mercenaries, uh, Western influence. They don't seem to be going around, you know, being Muslim 
they just say it. All that what we see is all these videos. They say Allah Akbar or something like that, right? And that's it. That's the only signal of Muslimness that you see because they don't dress like them. They don't act like them. They're just walking around with you know AK-47s and saying Allah Akbar. It's, I mean, it's such yeah. an obscene. It's obscene like that, that's the extent of their religious. That's their extent of their death. understanding of uh, Allah Akbar. That's it. Because I mean, and suddenly that makes you a Muslim. You know. There are stories about um, young women from Europe and the Middle East flying into Syria to quote-unquote service the jihadis, yeah. uh-huh. coming back pregnant with uh, something like an 80% STD rate. Right. It's just a complete, it's, it's the most anti-spiritual Completely. thing going down there. It's just a free-for-all. Right. It's, it's, anyway. So yeah, into this mix, you've got characters like even white Western women who are involved in this. And um, just last week, there was a court case in the UK, um, not related to Sam Luthwaite, but I think it would involve two other British women, maybe of maybe of Pakistani descent. I'm not sure, but it was classic of these kinds of tales. So they get involved with the wrong crowd back home in the UK. Right. Start dealing drugs. Next thing they know, they're shipping cash, physical cash and drugs to Syria for the boys over there. Which is a very Muslim Sharia law kind of thing. Because, you know, that Sharia law, man, it's all about stoning women for showing their ankles, but doing the coke and blow and and having sex orgies is what they're all about, right? It's ridiculous. So I think in this case, I think the, the court case finished last week, and she was let off on the grounds that she was manipulated into it. Right. Yeah. So th- there's a lot of that going on. I mean, whatever about court cases, nothing ever gets to court because a British MP, his name escapes me, he's from Manchester maybe, uh, told ITV News in the UK recently. This is this is absurd. We have thousands, he quoted, thousands of young British people freely leaving the country to wage jihad in Syria and what the intelligence services don't know about it. It's ridiculous. I mean, there's a story also of these two French teenage girls who just recently were arrested. I think it was actually might have been...
Hi, folks. Uh, sorry, we went offline there for a minute. We've been trying to contact John uh, John Rothschild. We actually did did call him, uh, but as soon as um, as soon as we uh, get him on the line, um, we're being dropped. Yeah, we're being dropped. So it's like we can only have one, and this is really annoying. Uh, Skype. Uh, a function of Skype, but it's, it hasn't happened before, but it's happening now. I mean, we were previously able to contact uh, more than one person, but now it's either or. Either we're connected to you, the listeners, or we're connected to our guest. So, um, hang on. Okay, John is calling back. Can you hear us? Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, um, so people are back on, and what I really need to know, I'm just going to check, is if people can hear you. So we have a chat room going. So uh, our listeners, let's just talk. Right. Keep, carry on, John, from where you were. Um, John, this we're not actually uh, we're not actually on, on we're we're online, but we're not actually people aren't actually hearing you. So maybe what we'll do is I'm sorry about this, but if you try, if you can get uh, 
Yeah. Okay. That's great. Yeah. I mean, do that uh, for people who are listening. Uh, I'm just talking to John here, and he's trying to get it, get in. So, okay, give that a go, John. And if if you can call in, then that's great. If not, then we'll we'll reschedule. We'll work something out for. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. So for the listeners, John is trying to connect via a, another account, a Facebook account. And we see if it works, because with the two previous email accounts, it was not working. If it works fine, if it doesn't work, uh, we'd have to apply plan B. I don't know. Yeah, I think it must be maybe kind of, um, uh, there's some kind of forces of darkness working yeah. against us here, because I actually had tr- Oh, that's because we're still online, right? Oh, we still have you online. <laughs> yeah, we still have you there, John. No, well, I mean, we are when we talk. We are people. Our listeners are hearing what we're saying, but they're not. They're not hearing you. All right, so give that a go and see if you can call in the show later on. Yeah. All right, thanks. Yeah, and the timing is odd because a few days ago our website swap.net was under attack, serious attacks, and uh, and now our radio show will be broadcasted properly. Mm-hmm. So it means we're doing something right, I suppose. Yeah. It's an encouragement. Yeah, it was quite a week. I think thought went down twice, and the first time was the lo- the longest time down I can remember. Yeah. Nearly two days, and I don't know how y'all were doing, but I was just I was climbing the walls. Yeah, didn't know what to do because there was all this great news news stuff. Yeah, going it was on. a great news exactly. week too, like with the yeah. Security Council stuff and everything yeah. going on. And, it was the perfect time for, for some great commentary. So. Yeah, and actually, it was a, at the time, a few days ago, when SOT had never been this active. Yeah. SOT members and editors were publishing a lot of Indeed, interesting yeah. uh, comments. We're, we're, we're really growing. Yeah. Uh, we've got so many new editors from so many different countries around the world. SOT's going to be coming out in, in some more languages soon. True. Uh, Dutch, Danish, Greek, Finnish, I believe. Yes, international. So yeah, they they can keep us down, but not out. Yeah, and stop the signal now. And uh, never stop the, the signal. signal. <laughs> and those kind of attacks are kind of are some um, it's double-edged sword because you can bring this website down, sure, but uh, we put it back on, and it can give an extra motivation. Well, I don't like that, but strangely, I mean, like for a while we were sitting there thinking, like, who are we? Nobody cares about us. <clears throat> but apparently they care enough. I mean. I, I mean, it was definitive proof that it was, it was an attack. So, I mean, there was no way it could have happened by accident. So, I mean, that just kind of validates pretty much everything we do and what we've been saying all along. It's like, why would anyone exert any effort to, to bring our site down if it wasn't telling the truth? So, who attacked us? What? Who? Well, I don't know who attacked us. They. They, they. they live. Well, as a matter of fact, over the last days, we, we focus our comments and analysis on the on Ukraine, a, a lot of material was about Ukraine, and uh, we're pointing the figure at, uh, at the U.S., at the U.S. Uh, oligarch. And uh, well, the, the big news this week is that Kiev has had its ass kicked, big time, big time. I mean, their response was just to randomly shell Donetsk. No one was killed because people have vacated the city center, but they destroyed the train station. Yeah. But that's just one of these flippant responses. The when I say a defeat. Um, I think thousands of Kiev forces were surrounded by yeah. the rebels. At which point, Putin says, 
uh, I call on the rebels to make a safe corridor to yeah. allow the Ukrainian army through to Russia, where we'll safely repatriate them back to uh-huh. where they belong. And uh, people, people in the West heard that, and it was poo-pooed as stupid Russian propaganda. They have actually started doing that. They're, they're surrendering and they're surrendering weapons, yeah. and they're going to Russia to be fed, clothed, and sent back home. Yeah. I mean, it, it's totally remarkable. It's not just that one side is right and one side is wrong and kind of most of the time and there's a bit of gray in the middle. I mean, it really is like if if you hear a NATO slash CIA slash U.S. government EU statement about Russia, you can now safely just invert it and you've got the truth. Yeah, yeah it's totally inverted. Totally inverted and you have on one side. Well, to summarize, on one side you have the U.S. that back up an invasion war bombing civilians and providing bombs and uh, weapons. On the other side, you have Russia that try to defend uh, civilians by providing uh, humanitarian aid. Dramatically opposed strategies. Mercy on one side, warfare and belligerent uh, aggressive behavior on the other. One of those interesting things, what a failing strategy in the long term that always is. You know, I mean, because like Martin Martin Luther King said, you know, when you win, you have to go back to living with these people. They're going to be your neighbors. They're going to be all around you, you know. I mean, how you win is is at least as important, you know, as how you fight. So, I mean, and America is really not adhering to this. They're not being very merciful. They're being very belligerent and huge, immense, and unnecessary. Unnecessary and, I think, practically ineffective propaganda campaign against Russia. I think because you see on all social media, you see everywhere that uh, the views of the average man on the street are far different than, than what is being promoted in the, the mainstream media. Yeah, and that's uh, maybe here we're touching the limits of the psychopathic mind. It's possible to probably to rule, to be a leader, and to find a lot of uh, win-win solutions where all the countries are to some extent, preserve, find the benefits. But the psychopathic mind doesn't work this way. I think uh, this concept of win-win or cooperation are quite remote to the way they think. For them, the world is uh, us versus uh, them. It's about oppression, it's about domination, it's about power, it's about violence. Control as well, and it's, it's, it's asking for something that they can't have because they control everything. You know, and then trying to end up destroying themselves in whatever political system they've infected. In this case, where the infection is particularly strong in, in the United States, but is also you know, present, I think, in a lot of European countries. But uh, ultimately, they end up destroying, and they have throughout all history, they end up destroying the host like a virus. Uh, <clears throat> a big upcoming event is this NATO summit in Cardiff. The Great Wall of NATO? Yeah. They spent $80 million basically making this ring of steel around the city. It's it's really just the next step from what they've done before. I mean, when was, the, the last NATO summit was in Chicago and they had a similar setup. Just wall the place in. Mm-hmm. Keep everyone back by two miles. Um, so this is coming up and It also comes after, of course, 
the UN security meeting, which was called, like I suspect, because they realized how badly they were losing the situation in Ukraine. So they went all out, middle of the week, right when salt went down, with this Russia invades Ukraine hysteria, uh, called this UN meeting. Nothing has come of it, of course, because, you know, most countries are like, evidence, please. It's just to create a kind of a media event to be able to get CNN, NBC, a whole lot of them, screaming in unison, Russia invades Ukraine. That's kind of all they have left. Just, just to lie as whoever lies loudest wins. Yeah, that's, that's the remnant of the strategy at this point. Yeah, you're right. I think the being the loudest is what is the strat- core of the strategy now because they don't have the truth for sure, and uh, or they don't want to reveal the truth. So they have all those lies, and the only power they have is this control of mainstream media. So they hammer again and again the same lies. And uh, in a way, you program an individual. They hope that this constant repetition of the same lies will fill the brain of listeners, of viewers, and uh, become the reality of individuals. But I'm wondering if it's working because we talked about the first growing chasm between the West and the East, ideologically, politically, territorially, economically. There's also what you described for the, the NATO meeting is also an example of the growing chasm between the people and the elites. So you can wonder to what extent their strategy uh, is leading to a victory. Well, you see, you can smell the desperation. Yeah. And I think coming with this, uh, there may be a false flag terror attack to cement, to remind the people why they need us. That, that ring of steel around Cardiff and you know jets flying overhead might not quite do it. Um, I, I think they might do The last time, there was a massive, massive security operation for the G8 meeting in Scotland mm-hmm. in 2005. Uh, smack in the middle of it, London bombings happened. Mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if somebody tried something this week. Well, yeah, that was amazing. amazingly uh, cynical. They were all up in uh, Scotland, Bush and Blair and all the heads of state there. Uh, the G20, wasn't it? I thought it was... Was it not the G20? Maybe maybe anyway, there was a G8. There was a load of them, and they were all just... Um, the reason I thought it was the G20 was because it was, uh, it was G8. They, they, they were discussing the major uh, aspect of it was um, forgiving third world debt. Uh, because at the time there was a big uh, concert to coincide with this uh, G8 meeting. Live 8. Uh, Live 8, yeah. It was, and it was, you know, Bob Geldof and usual suspects, Bono. 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 Bonehead. Bono. And uh, <laughs> he, uh, they, they were on right that, you know, the whole momentum was to forgive third world debt for the major uh, capital capitalist Western countries to, to forgive the debt and that was just shoved way off the table. It wasn't shoved off the table. It was kicked out the door and you know thrown into the moat. Into submission. Thrown into the moat and yeah. eaten by crocodiles uh, because of these seven seven bombings. And it was like, wow, coincidence. <laughs> that was you guys lucked out there, you know. Well, that just kind of brings us back to the Samantha Luke character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Yeah, the, the basic story. And I hope we'll have John back on. Maybe not today, but. Uh, Unless he he's able to call in, but on, on another um, another day, 
But uh, yeah, Samantha Luthwaite, it's just a ridiculous story. And I mean, it's ridiculous even by the standards of uh, Muslim terrorist narratives about how it all happens. You know, I mean, you've seen the Bin Laden and the Zarqis and the, uh, the, their predecessors and stuff and their, and their descendants, Muhammad Adda, Muhammad Adda, and all these people, all of it having extreme, extremely uh, dubious uh well, actually, I mean, considering how low the, the standards for Western media narratives are, actually, this <laughs> this one might actually be kind of above their standards. Mm. But, um, I mean... Well, it can't, it's almost like it was... I mean, she she was on the scene not as a Muslim terrorist, but as married to a Muslim terrorist. Uh, I married the mob type of thing. Yeah, a guy called... Um, Jermaine. Jermaine Lindsay, yeah. who, was, uh, who was supposedly one of the London bombers and but then so she her background was she was brought up in Northern Ireland by uh she was a Protestant in Northern Ireland she lived well she wasn't brought up there she was born there and she lived not far from where I grew up and um but her father was a British military counter-terrorist yeah. counter-terrorist dude but working in military military um intelligence military intelligence essentially yeah. it would be the what what he worked under and that that put immediately that puts him in a very kind of shady shady world at at the time we're talking about because this was in the seventies I think late seventies that we're talking about so I mean stuff going on then was the kind of stuff that's happening now in the, in the Middle East at home type thing essentially false flag uh, attacks terror attacks were being perpetrated by the British military in Northern Ireland and her father may well have been involved in that. So then she and she goes up. Then they move to England. And she goes up, uh, and by the time she's seventeen or something, she's converted to Islam. Uh, actually, let me just check something here. Hi, John. Is that you? Yes, indeed, I'm in. Absolutely, you're in, and I think everybody can hear you now. So we were just we were just waxing kind of. What uh, were we waxing? Well, waxing. Wiseacring. there. Um, oh, he's gone again. No way. Oh, my gosh. There's something wrong here. something going on. I'm getting really suspicious. I'm going to get paranoid now. And oh, my get, God, it's in my phone. I'm getting my tinfoil hat on. Seriously. <laughs> he just, the call just dropped again. You're talking about Samantha Luthwaite. Yeah, well, maybe he's going to come back. Yes, yeah, so it's 17. And, no, I'm just, I'm just freaked out by the fact that he's just popping in and out there, you know, um, after all the trouble we've had already. Anyway, Samantha Luthwaite, 17, well, in England, converts to Islam. Supposedly. So she, so the narrative goes. That's this is the narrative, uh, and then it's kind of like estranged from her family a little bit. Her parents can't handle it, whatever. And here's John again. Well, what I found, John. Yo. Yeah, you. The call just dropped there for some reason. Let's see if we can yeah. keep it, keep it for a while. Will we do? Will we do a test, or do we just want to go for it? Just go for it. we just continue on. Yeah, just go for it. Yeah, sorry about this, John. This is a nightmare. Well, this was never very happened before. interesting. She converted to Islam. Let, yeah, well, let, let John kind of get back on here. Um, John, can you can you start again, more or less? I mean, I I introduced okay. when we talked yeah. earlier on. I said that you had this, you have this YouTube channel. You did this documentary um, about the White Widow, and you don't really have much else in your background, at least not publicly, in terms nope. of invest in these kind of. Uh, Things. So, what is your background, briefly, whatever you can share? 
weirdo. <laughs> um, I would say if I classify myself, I mean, just an old-fashioned weirdo. I haven't had a norm. I haven't had a what I guess people would classify an, a normal job since uh, my early twenties. I'm 46 now. Uh, I've been involved in the music business, inverted commas, probably for the last uh, well. 25 years, um, I've made a number of albums, uh, singles. I come from uh, what's known as a, the Acid House background. I was involved heavily uh, from 88, 89, 90 in that sort of background in, in London. Uh, very interested in electronic music, techno, um, and that sort of thing, and just progressed from there, really. Uh, in about the mid-90s, I got involved in uh, production music, which is, for lack of a better word, music for television, and took it from there, um, film work, TV work, that sort of thing. So, I mean, that's, I guess, what I've been doing, and that's allowed me to travel the entire planet much more so than your average kind of traveler. The average traveler spends two weeks. A DJ spends two days. I would spend a minimum of two or three months in the country. I'd do my work. I'd show up. You know, I'd do my thing. I'd take the money, and I'd just live there, you know. So also um, coming from a, a weirdo family, uh, it's they moved a lot anyway. I mean, my parents emigrated to Canada when I was a, a very... Um, when I was a lot younger, and um, one of the things about emigrating to Canada is you can't, at the time in the late 70s, you couldn't directly immigrate there. You had to come through a second country, i.e. America. So I spent some time in the States. Uh, I was married in the States in the late 90s, uh, lived in Los Angeles for a long time, uh, spent a lot of time in West Coast of America, I guess, is uh, a big stomping ground for me. But also, I spent a lot of time in places like Tennessee. Uh, been to New York countless times. Uh, east Coast of Canada, all over Europe, everywhere in Europe. Uh, some parts of Africa. Have uh, checked out Russia and China, but that's on my hit list, really. Well, so a well-traveled musician and. Uh um, I don't know, jack of all trades, maybe. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, really, just I, I really, I'm just, I'm just a professional. I mean, if if I'm really honest, I'm, a, I am a professional musician, but you have to use inverted commas with that because it's, you can't really, you know, it's not, um, it's not a a profession or a trade. You know, it's something that you may get some cash next week, and you might be eating baked beans for it. A year, the next year, you know, that's just the way it is. Yeah, it's quite remote from uh, this investigation you conducted about Samantha Lutwaite. So, how did you stumble upon this topic? How did you start this investigation? How did it come? Um, well, you know, if you've been, if you haven't had, uh, how can I put this? If you've spent more than a, probably about 18 months out of permanent employment, your opinions and attitudes will change pretty rapidly. And I know this just because, you know, I talk to people the same way you talk to people. One of the main reasons why the establishment is so keen on having people in full-time work is because if you're not in full-time work, uh, and I'm not talking about, you know, having a part-time job and, and doing something on the side, you know, whatever, I'm talking about being unemployed or having a, a career where you're not really, you know, you don't have a boss, you don't have to 
uh, sign in, clock in every day, whatever. If you spend more than about a year and a half in that situation, your attitude really will change quite dramatically and you'll start questioning a lot of things. I started questioning things uh, probably at the age of 15 or 16. I realized that most of the information that I was being told by, you know, say, establishment figures like teachers, et cetera, et cetera, was utter bullshit. Um, and then I sort of did my own reading. I was always involved and very active in, I guess, what now is called the truth movement, which I hate, um, you know. But when did you have your wake-up moment? It was probably uh, somewhere in the mid-90s, I think I had a, I, I, I started reading a, probably a lot of the sort of stuff that you've been reading and had a... Uh, you know, just have a general wake-up moment, like I guess probably a lot of your listeners have had. Um, the difference is I had the time and energy, and to a certain extent, money, to really, really pursue it. Now, to get back to your question about Samantha Luthwaite, um, it was just one of those things where I just thought, this is just the biggest load of crap, nonsense, that I've, propaganda that I've in my life. I can't think right now off the top of my head of a bigger, more convoluted, more drawn out, long running um, BS story than this one. And I just felt compelled to do something, you know, just citizen journal journalism, do something about it rather than sitting, talking to your friends and going, yeah, well, what, what a load of crap that is, to actually inform others about it. And that's really my answer to your question. Well, that's, that's, I mean, that's excellent because there's, as you said, there's a lot of people who do talk about this kind of stuff, but don't uh, step up and, uh, you know, put their effort into, into trying, to, trying to inform well, exactly. people about it. Um, uh, exactly. I mean, people talk about the 1% and the 99%. Unfortunately, we are the 1%. We're the 1%. I mean, that's really, that's kind of the percentage. The other 99% couldn't really give a damn about Samantha Luthwaite. Yeah. So just uh, tell us a little bit about Samantha Luthwaite and, uh, you know, what's so implausible. You know, that's a, there's probably a long list of things that are implausible uh, about God. her story. Where, but... where to start? I mean, where, I mean it, I'm, I'm going to go through it more or less in kind of the... Um, more or less the same way my my film goes through it because it's in chronological yeah. order. And, and for me, um, the the real big alarm bells, the huge alarm bells ringing, the vast amount of connections with Seven Seven, which of course is a a massive you know it's a topic, a huge topic in its own right. But the the the, the nexus between her Seven Seven and the current stuff that's going or has been going on in Africa, um, I guess, is really one of the main things that we should focus upon. Uh, the fact that she's there, involved in 7-7, uh, which was, of course, one of the biggest uh, events of the 21st century, terrorism-wise, in, in, in the UK. That, for me, is a massive, massive red flag. And the fact that she is being dragged out that long, it's incredible. And it, 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 it really beggars belief. But the facts of the matter, now we are looking back on 7-7, 
it's in my opinion, there's no shadow of a doubt that she had a key role in in that bombing. Somewhere within that grey mist, she's deeply involved, along with a number of other players. A, a, a key, um, uh, a red flag again for me. Um, is the Northern Ireland connection, which I go into some detail in the film. If, we, if we're going to go right back before 77 uh, to the original war on terror, which of course is, is Northern Ireland, then um, you, it's very, very difficult to explain the, the, the weird set of connections between, say, figures like Martin McDade, who for listeners out there is generally accepted as Martin McDade is generally accepted if there was an agent provocateur involved in 7-7 i.e. pushing these three guys to action then McDade has to be this guy he went around shouting to everyone I'm in the special boat services which is odd if you are an agent provocateur to do that but that's what he did he's white he uh, he has he pops up you know just pops up there in the north of England from God knows where, and the, the connection with Luthwaite is is her, her father. I'm because her father, you see, was heavily involved in anti-terrorism in Northern Ireland. Now, uh, from my own readings and research, you don't resign from those kind of organisations, really. In the same way that, you know, special forces and Delta forces in America, you don't get to resign. You're put on kind of a, uh, I don't know what to put, uh, how to call it, uh, you're put in cold storage. You're put in cold storage. And Mm -hmm. I'm a great believer in looking at uh, the family and the individual. Let's forget about the headlines. Let's forget about what information that's been pumped to me to you or to others let's just look at the family and the people and the the reactions of neighbors people on the street people with no agendas uh or so-called agendas and there's it's very that there's this strange northern ireland connection this terrorist northern ireland connection and if you know anything about uh the troubles as they're called uh, that entire uh, dark period of um, Irish history was absolutely riddled. You can, I mean, you can go centuries, I guess, but in the modern world, it's absolutely riddled with intelligence, counterintelligence, black operatives, uh, propaganda, counter-propaganda, uh, assassinations, killings, the whole panoply of what we now know as the modern war on terror. So I find it very, very odd that she comes out of that background at all. That's mm-hmm. my first big problem. Yeah, I mean, uh, I just coincidentally, I can understand probably why you had an interest in it or why this, amongst all the different stuff going on in the war on terror since 9-11, uh, why this kind of jumped out of you. I mean, you're, you, you're, you're originally from the UK, right? So uh, just seeing that kind of bullshit from your own kind of home country kind of shoved down your throat is, is ridiculous. And um, I mean, I, I, knew that, I knew that something, uh, I mean, sorry to interrupt you, but for an exo- just 
an example, there was a media shutdown in the UK. I mean, you probably, uh, obviously you sound Irish, but um, there was a, a, a media shutdown. You had no information, no um, re reportage coming out mm -hmm. of Northern Ireland. You couldn't, for a, a good couple of years, it's just all you got was their version. You never got Sinn Féin's version. You never got, for the the others, you didn't get any information. You turned on the news and that's it. And of course, um, when you get, as a, you know, as a youngster, uh, I mean, I must have been 16 or 17, teenagers, they have quite high bullshit detectors. You'd be very surprised. And um, I, I guess you're right. I mean, maybe that's one of the reasons why Luke White has jumped out at me. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, for, for me, I, I can totally relate to what you're saying because uh, um, I, I grew up not far from where Samantha Luthwaite Lute, was born, you know. Uh, yeah. And uh, she, uh, I mean, I, I knew about her as you've described in your in your, in your film uh, about her kind of like her father's background, but I never really looked into it. I looked into the and wrote about the seven seven bombings themselves, but um, and she at that time was just a, a kind of Part player, and she wrote yeah, the same. Um, yeah, I mean, in, in Northern Ireland, her father—the fact that her father was essentially military intelligence in Northern Ireland during the kind of seventies and stuff—puts him, you know, right there among, uh, at the heart of um, the original, at least in in the last thirty or forty years, the original, um, as you said, war on terror and the beginning of, um, at least this stage of it, the beginning of false flag terror attacks. Well, so, um, another another issue. Again, sorry to interrupt, but another big problem is where is the father? Where yeah. is he? Well, you know, if it was my kid, if it was your child and my kid, I'd be straight on the nine o'clock news. Where's yeah. this guy? Where's his interviews? Where's his explanation? Apparently, they were distraught about her joining, uh, oh, converting sure. to Islam, right? <laughs> oh, sure, yeah. yeah, so so distraught that they let her wander around in. Look, I don't know about where you come from, but where I where I come from, white women walking around in a, a full Islamic uh, uh, clothing is a non-starter. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, <clears throat> I mean, she converts to Islam at about seventeen or something back in the UK, right? Back over in. Uh, uh, no, she. I think she. she uh, let me work this out. She. She converts in 2001. She's born in 83, 18. so I guess she's 18 Yeah. at point of conversion. Okay, yeah. so she converts to Islam and she falls in with this Jermaine uh, Lindsay guy who is one of the alleged bombers, 7-7 bombers, right? Yeah, but yeah, he, he is in... Yeah, yeah. She, yeah, I mean, you, you're right there. That's, 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 that's the first critical event in her life. That's, uh, you know... It, if we have defining moments in our lives, then this is uh, a, criti a critically defining moment in her life. And, and in my film, uh, I, I, I bring up the fact that depending on which media outlet you choose to read, you can there are conflicting reports on how you know she met this guy. You would have thought that Ma and Pa would have been able to verify that. No, no, no. She met him at X, Y, and Z. Again, complete silence. Total mm. silence. So we're left to our own devices to try and figure out. I mean, if it was, again, if it was me, father, no, sorry, they knew each other from blah, blah, blah. They met each other at SOAS, which is the, universe, um, 
part of the University of London. Uh, or no, they met each other on a war march. Or no, they met each other uh, in just in a chat room. They, they knew each other for six months. They developed the relationship. This is how it. This is how it happened. Again, total silence. You just mentioned SOAS University, or SOAS part of uh, University of London. Can you tell us a bit more about uh, this? Uh, I can school? certainly tell you a bit more about SOAS. I mean, I went to. Un- I went to at what was known at the time as the University of, of North London. When I was at the University of North London, there was a recruitment drive going on in my second and third year by what we now would refer to as Islamic radicals. They were all over the campus, and it was ridiculous. They'd come down, at, say, lunchtime into the bar area, set up their stall, and you know, you'd have two or 300 people getting sloshed, and uh, uh, five or six, it's a ridiculous scene, you couldn't believe it, five or six hardcore Islamic radicals trying to recruit anyone. And there wasn't a great deal of, of, of Islamic people there. They got shouted no. down, people would scream at them and whatnot. So even in my own university, I knew that there's something very, very weird was going on. No, they had, it was just, just very, very odd. Um, and it's just, I could go into greater detail, but, you know, that's, that's, just, that, that's enough. SOAS, to get back to the point, um, it's, to go to SOAS, it's, it's a language school as well. So, I mean, you've got people with the right, uh, they're intelligent, okay, uh, we would assume, um, and they've got language skills, and they've got language, they've got exotic language skills. They, you know, they may well be able to speak Arabic. They may well be able to speak Moroccan. They may well be able to speak obscure African dialects. So those mm-hmm. are the people. If, you, if they can, if they've already got the skills. All you've got to do is hand them the check. And I don't know about you, but if you know, if if you're 18 or 19 and not particularly clued up and someone comes along to you and says, hey, listen, don't worry about the job search. Here's 50K. Come and work for us. Mm. What are you going to say? So you're suggesting that um, she was this property, uh, such a proposition was made to her? Well, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm actually, su- I'm actually su- suggesting that sh- sh- at some point... Either I, my personal feeling is again it's her father because I, I you know we speak to people. If you speak to people in which, who've got come from a military background, Ma and Pa will be giving pressure on little Johnny to join the family business. It's just normal, you know. It, it, look at the music business, Miley mm. Cyrus. You know, you could say, well, did Miley Cyrus get pressured into sort of prancing around uh, and, and twerking? Uh, I, I, I don't know, but it makes it a hell of a lot easier if, if, you're, if you're that's, you know, Billy Ray Cyrus. Mm. You see my point? So, I mean, she, she may, it may be a combination of factors. Her father mm. may have said, listen, this is the right place for you to go to further your career in your chosen field, i.e., British intelligence, or she may yeah. have gone there on her own free will, and someone came up to her and said, "Hey, listen, that you can, um, you, you're because she's a smart woman. She all yeah. 
from my research into her, uh, her schooling, she was one of the top people in her school. So she was a, she's a smart cookie. She's no idiot. So, and so she's, she, she fits the bill more of someone who is doing this consciously rather than the kind of patsies that have been used, abused, and discarded. I definitely think so. I, 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 my, my, my opinion is, is it's not something... I, I completely discount the theory that um, somehow she got... Okay, let's look at an alternative theory now. She got married to Lindsay. She has a mild in, interest in um, it, it, you know, Islam. It, it develops further. She becomes more fervent. She meets Lindsay. Lindsay goes off as the bombing. MI5 then approach her and say, hey, listen, you've got two choices. You can go to the slammer for the next 40 years, or you can come and work for us, and we'll keep you in, um, keep you in handbags. Keep you in handbags, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, exactly. a it's a serious possibility. Uh, uh, it's one that I, I just don't, I don't buy into it because of her background. I just don't, mm. I just don't see that. I don't see her. I mean, any parents, and again, going back to the street, going back to family, going back to parents, going, and there's a lot of anecdotal, well, not anecdotal, there's plenty of evidence that she's generally interested in Islam. It's not, you know, something that's, uh, happened. She, I, I think at some point she had a genuine interest in Islam and then somehow that got distorted and twisted into ending up working for MI5. And um, uh, actually, first, Samantha Youthweight denies her husband's involvement and her husband, German Lindsay, involvement in the 7-7 bombing. She asked for DNA proof, and then she turned 180 degrees. So can you explain what's your hypothesis as to what happened in her mind? Well, that's a very interesting point, you see, because whenever you get um, uh, something is convoluted with so many layers of the onion, and we haven't even started yet, but when you get something as convoluted as this, you'll get 80% where you can fit into one box and you know, there's that 20, other 20% where it's very difficult to, to, fit, to fit in. And uh, again, her initial, as you correctly pointed out, her initial reaction is, hey, the guy's not involved. Now, I actually think that, to be honest with you, there's a side of me that says Lindsay wasn't involved. And I, I'm not sure, my, I'll be totally frank with you, you know, I don't have all the answers, okay? I think I, I've touched on some areas where we can all talk about and probably come to some some conclusions, but there's going to be other areas where we're just not going to be able to come to any firm conclusions. And the area you just pointed out is one of those things. She denies it initially, and then she gets the DNA evidence or supposed DNA, DNA evidence, and then... You know, she becomes, uh, I guess, uh, a poster child. She starts making the media pieces. She starts getting the payments, um, blah, 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 blah. And it's, I don't know how you could look at it. Obviously, the powers that be are not idiots. And they may not want a linear narrative. They may not want, you know, every single, people like you and me, for example, to put everything into a, 
that box. If she'd if she'd have come out and said, oh, you know, yeah, he definitely was a freaking uh, weirdo bomber, then that kind of puts her under the spotlight. You know, it's like, well, okay, so what's your role in it? It's very. There's been a lot of um, analysis and a lot of talk about that particular period immediately after the after the bombings. Whatever the case may be. Um, I don't think we should get hung up on that because the DNA evidence that she's presented with is almost definitely bullshit, okay? Uh, I, I personally, my opinion is, is I doubt highly Lindsay was anywhere near a train, okay? Mm-hmm. And I think it, it, we're on to 7-7 now, you know, and 7-7 is, is a three-hour conversation, and um, mm-hmm. probably not one that we should have this evening. But the, the, the facts are she denies it, then she accepts it, then she takes the money, then she's on the low-low for two years, then she's off, and the noose amount to lose weight is kind of, you know, rises from the phoenix, as, you know, or however you want to phrase it. Mm. Um, so... Okay. Okay. Seven, seven happens, and then she. Well, the, the the next instance in which her name pops up is it in connection with a whole new event or a whole new plot that's unfoiled or something? Well, immediately. Uh, well, immediately after um, seven, seven, she's back in the papers because her house uh, burnt down by some. Uh, probably some EDL-type figures, uh, English Defense League-type people. I'm not saying it was EDL, but, you know, it's, it's, people mm-hmm. are none too happy about the, 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 the situation. Um, and then she goes off the radar, and it's a, there's a couple of years that are just blank. They're blank in... I'm trying to think of another a, a comparison. Um, almost kind of like the early life of Oswald. Uh, and there's a lot of surprising, surprisingly high correlation between her life and, and Oswald's uh, life in, in a lot of regards. But she basically goes off, off the radar for about two years. And she doesn't resurface until about 2007. I think from 2007 to 2009 is another gray. There are reports that she went off to Kenya and then came back. Um, But again, it's very grey. And I can only give to you the information that I can get myself, which, to be honest with you, is minimal. Um, If she did come back to the UK and she was in Kenya, she should have been picked up immediately at the airport. Uh, I mean, you would have thought, hey, one minute you're... uh, you're married to a key player in 7-7, then you're off to Kenya for two years doing God knows what, and then you're back in the UK. At that point, someone from the intelligence services, you would have thought, would have said, uh, Samantha, dear, we need to have a serious talk. There was no, she was just running around you know, doing her thing, like so many of these people seem to be able to do. So many of these people seem to be able to do and make 
movements that you and I couldn't do. If you and I uh, blew up uh, a couple of tube trains, we're allowed to travel to a known terrorist epicenter? No. And then we're allowed to come back to the UK? No. It's just not plausible. And she does that with a fake ID? And apparently she no, has a lot of no, money. No. Friends, tumors, she, she, uh, up till about two th- up till about two thousand and nine, two thousand and eight, she's the Lithuania. She's she's just a you know to all intents and purposes, she is an innocent victim who has um, unfortunately fallen in with Lindsay, who of course Lindsay got radicalized, he was a nice guy, you know, never did anything wrong. Um, and really we should talk more about Lindsay, but um She's she's herself. She is the person. Her pictures on you know her pictures on the passport. She's Samantha Luthwaite with her kids, and we just don't know. We we just don't know very much about that period. Um, and you know, there's reports that she went back up uh, up north. Um, there's reports that uh, she was hanging around the Luton area. I mean. It, it really, again, depends, and I, I, I don't think we can really say with any certainty what the hell was going on in that period. And, and, and who knows what was happening when she was under police protection, because she was under police protection for a good couple of years, obviously, because after the house got burnt down, uh, which is a, not that long after the bombings, um, she would have, I imagine, been on a not a hit list for certain people but definitely would have been um her life probably would have been in some form of danger yeah so i mean when she really <clears throat> talk to us about when she really came back on i mean when she when she appeared as, she really the, as comes, the yeah okay she really comes back the radar. she comes back big time on the radar in 2011 okay uh, and it's really all to do with uh, Mombasa and Kenya. Um, there's num- in Kenya, you've got a, a kind of a low, very low level kind of uh, grenade throwing uh, incident, where um, a number of I think one or two people were killed, and a number of people were injured in a, a effectively a very poor part of Mombasa, and she is somehow linked or this is the first definitive thing that the media says, yes, she's involved, and um, isn't it all so terrible? And she's Mm. accused of, depending again what you read, but uh, uh, she's apparently spotted by unknown witnesses with no names again, and it's all sources and intelligence sources, the usual nonsense. Um, mm. She's spotted with another guy throwing a grenade out of a car and disappearing off into the uh, Kenyan, you know, the jungle, Kenyan netherworld. Yeah, and that's yeah. the first Mombasa, the Mombasa Institute, Jericho Beer Garden. Uh, which is the where she bombed, which is again a very very weird thing to do. Um, yeah, look, it looks so it's not a high much more kind of place, right? No, I mean you could bust that down as just a pissed off fellow, you know, another guy who's 
oh, it could be just something. That sort of thing happens over a couple of hundred bucks, you know. Yeah, it's uh, that serious. Could be it can be territorial. It could be uh, debt. God only knows. I mean, Kenya can be a dangerous place. Um, so, but she's like, she becomes, ah, okay, we got it wrong. She is doing radical terrorist activities. She is involved with Al-Shabaab. We probably should get onto Al-Shabaab. Um, and that's the really the point about 2011 where you start seeing her face again in the media. Right. And then, but then it's another two years before she does anything else, right? Which is the, the big... yeah. I mean, well, no. I mean, let's not get... There's no... You're, we're about to now to, to go on to um, the attack on the mall. And um, there's no evidence at all she was there. There's, you know, you would have thought if she had CCTV, they've released CCTV, CCTV of, of the incident. She's not there. It's as simple as that. And everyone really kind of acknowledges that she's not there. But there was a huge, huge campaign right across sort of uh, Eastern Africa, the UK, um, probably even reached a lot of the European papers and European media outlets that she is organizing it she's number one she's got to be there of course she's there uh reports of again unknown witnesses intelligence sources blah blah blah. oh yes we saw the white woman barking out orders quote unquote um she's not there she's clearly not there. what you've got there but from what we can establish is kind of young Somalis, young Somalis with AKs, you know, I mean, like I say in the film. Uh, and that's it. She's not there anyway. I mean, it's not difficult, you know. I mean, if she's there, she's, she's, she's standing there with, an, uh, with another AK in full Islamic gear, I would imagine, uh, you know, standing around pointing at the, the next innocent uh, citizen to be shot because they won't convert on the spot. You know, and she's not there. It's as simple as that. Mm. And she's also apparently, um, she's, she was supposed to have done another hit or attack on a very nearby mall uh, called The Junction. Um, I, think, I think The Junction was in Nairobi. Uh, but yeah, she's, she was linked to another um, foiled attack. Because uh, these attacks are always foiled, of course, at the last minute. Uh, but there's no evidence. There's there's nothing. It's it's just uh, it's nonsense. You know, it's like me saying I saw Father Christmas in the mall. She, mm. yeah, it's it's utter nonsense. So I mean, when you look at the the entire case of this Samantha Luthwaite, the, the White Widow, uh, everything that people think they know about her is pretty much false, right? Yeah. Well, person. look, I mean, like I At said least, earlier... The, the average, what, I, what I mean is the average person, if you ask them about her, they'd probably say, yeah, that English woman, uh, the white widow oh, or God, something. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely, I mean, without any shadow... Without, from, in my mind, there's no shadow of a doubt. I mean, she's... Whatever you think she is, she is not. Because... She, she's probably it's 
she, I see the where I get slightly confused is when she's 15, 16, she is reading the Quran. I know she's reading the Quran because her, her school buddies say they are. Now, I, 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 I totally discount, you know, MI5 has somehow got hold of everyone she went. No, they didn't get hold of everyone she went to school with. She was reading the Quran. But then you've got another situation going back to the street if you look at what her neighbours said and you look at the background of Lindsay a little bit deeper, which is why I, I really think we should talk a little about uh, Lindsay, because after all, it is her husband. They're up all night partying at the weekends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pumping out R&B. And, I'm, I'm, you know, this is what the neighbours said, what so some they, of the neighbours were saying. Some of the neighbours were saying, no, 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 she was walking around in uh, is- Islamic gear Monday, Friday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, they're up doing coke with Lindsay, listening to R&B. Yeah, so there's a kind of a Muhammad Atta element to, to Lindsay. There's a real... There's a real... Yeah, I mean, you've just hit the nail on the head. I mean, there's, there's aspects of her personality that are ludicrously middle class. Um, there's a whole set of anomalies that we haven't really discussed. I mean, for example, she loves the internet. She likes to shop. We know she loves to shop because she ripped off a couple of the the local banks in Africa for as much as she could get hold of. She had a kid. She doesn't have a kid in, in, uh, you know, in the wilds with Al-Shabaab on the ground. She doesn't push it out in in, in the middle of the desert. No, 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 no. She goes to a Johannesburg birthing room, probably one of the most expensive facilities in the area. If you know anything about Africa, uh, that is highly abnormal. You know, that's white middle class territory, big time. You know, Uh, there's a lot of things like um, her habits. Now, the last time I checked, if I was an Islamic radical organizer logist you know you know a, a banker type figure because she it, it, she has been um described as the banker of al-shabaab uh, or, or or at least a key financial organizer okay you don't go around taking self-portraits yeah you don't sit around you know it, she's made up in these I mean, how yeah. many Islamic people wear? Ma- she's, she's, she, you can have a look at the pictures. She's made up. Hardcore, yeah, hardcore Muslims don't uh, don't post selfies. They don't. They, no, no, no. I mean, I'm sure she's probably going to McDonald's in, in Johannesburg. You know, uh, she doesn't live in tiny little shit shacks in the middle of nowhere. No, 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 no. She gets the best apartments she can get her hands on. These are good. I, I, I wouldn't. You know, I'd like one. These are decent, this is decent accommodation. She's got accommodation for herself, her underlings. We're talking a lot of money. We're talking a lot of money here. I mean, if, to, to, to rent, you know, for half a dozen, a dozen people for like a couple of years, you're talking some serious dough. You know, it's not like chump change. This isn't, and I'm sorry, but like getting 30,000, because she did receive 30,000 pounds from the, from the mirror, this is at least one payment that we're aware of. That's not going to cover it, my friend. You know yeah. that that's going to cover you for a couple of months, a couple of years with uh, with a dozen people underneath you. 
She's got underlings here, underlings there, all the rest of it. Um, and she likes nice apartments. She likes good quality accommodation. She likes birthing rooms. She likes self-storage. She likes sitting around on the internet, you know? So a lot she's of that not, is she's totally... Not, yeah, she's not your average... Uh kind of fundamentalist jihadi dedicated to the cause absolutely and... not no i mean this isn't this isn't look if you look at the people uh, the kind of people who are in joining isis now um yeah okay you know they may uh, actually to be honest with you they, they do have an online presence but i just find at that particular period and that uh, in that area I mean, I've been to Africa a number of times. It's virtually impossible in a lot of these areas, even in, you know, places like Kenya, let alone Somalia, which is where she's supposed to be running around. You can't get an Internet connection. I've got yeah. a, I've, I barely get an Internet connection in Portugal to make this call. And she's like, come yeah. on. I mean, who's uh, what? She just said, you know, who's paying for all of this again? You know, it's the, so, the whole. It's the money trail. Again, yeah. look at the money. What, what's her links with uh, this, the Lee Rigby uh, killer, which was um, a couple of years ago in um, okay. uh, last, well, right, last year? Right? Yeah. In yeah, I mean, again, this is, a, this is another really, really serious red flag, of which we could probably talk for another three hours about this. But uh, the Lee Rigby thing, she's just effectively supposed to I won't bore the listeners with all the details, but she's supposed to have bumped into this guy. She's supposed to have effectively bumped into every one of any note that's come out of Africa, okay? And uh, Michael Adebolejo, who is, um, along with the other dude, there was two of them, um, who attempted this beheading in Central London, uh, she's just effectively supposed to have bumped into in Somalia uh, or on the Kenyan border or that particular area because, of course, they're supposed to be migrating from Kenya into Somalia, doing, you know, whatever, then disappearing back into Kenya and then going on the low low in South. They're all over East Africa, effectively. And it's a very mm-hmm. it's supposed to be a very tight knit network. She, uh, specifically, I think she's supposed to have known him through some uh, a, a, a couple of other known radicals. Uh, I'll get onto that a little bit later because it's a little bit more contemporary um, because she's apparently supposed to have remarried and it's there's a whole set of connections that she's she's effectively known everyone. Somehow she's supposed to know Muhammad Siddiq Khan. Again, we'll get onto that. But she bumps on, she bumps into him on the Yellow Brook Jihadi Road, you know. And uh, what what's very odd is about Abelajo again. Uh, if we look at the street level, and let's forget about mainstream media, everyone around Abelajo says, "Oh no, no, no! MI5 were all over him. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Constantly following him. Pressure, 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 pressure." Uh, so hey, maybe my, my, maybe Abelajo was uh, at some point, like Luthwaite, genuinely interested. And maybe he got turned. But if you look at one specific incident, when Adebolejo was interviewed by the, uh, excuse me, a friend of Adebolejo's, 
uh, one of his best friends apparently was interviewed on the BBC. As soon as the interview is over, MI5 officers are in the interview in the BBC. He got arrested. Obviously, yeah. he said a little bit too much. He obviously must have said something that mm-hmm. wasn't supposed to be mentioned because he got arrested. So from that, I can only deduce that he probably was telling the truth. Yeah. I mean, it's not... Albalejo was arrested in previous to his... Yes, he was. Yeah, I mean, and from what I've read, there was a swarm uh, the, the likes of which uh, some of the Kenyan uh, authorities, Kenyan uh, sort of uh, paramilitary, uh, military, etc., etc., had never seen before. There was a swarm of black hawks. They literally sent like half a dozen to a dozen black hawks to get this one guy. You know, it's like you see in the films, guys dump, you know, clambering down ropes on the ground, bang, get in the chopper, we're going. You know, why was that the case? Because he was a non-figure. Up, this is before he did the beheading, you see. So some, somewhere along the line, someone definitely got out of Malaysia. My theory is, is Luthwaite said, we've got one here. We've either, we've either got potential, uh, I think this guy can be turned, or he's a genuine insurgent. I doubt he's a genuine insurgent myself. I just, I just yeah, don't. Be, it, I don't he can be used as a, he can be used as a patsy in, in some way or other. Because well, exactly, exactly. I mean, the fact that you had this very high-profile kind of ridiculous situation in central London indicates to me that that's so um, psychologically uh, such such a an intense psychological experience for the viewer mm. um, that it would... It, I just find it very, very difficult to believe that Asbalejo was not MI5. Now, the obvious answer to that is, is, well, why is he in jail? Well, the same reason why Oswald got shot. Yeah. yeah. Oswald got the shot. Thing yeah. It doesn't, prevent, it doesn't prevent Oswald from being high-level, you know, uh, CIA... That doesn't prevent him. Yeah. Just because he got shot doesn't prevent him from being high-level CIA. Just because you end up in jail, what are you going to do? You're going to what, yeah. speak to your jobmates and say, I, work for, I was working for MI5, I was a patsy. Uh, no, you weren't, mate. You, you're a fucking lunatic, and you, you deserve to be here. Supposed to be, yeah. yeah, absolutely. But the, 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 from a general point of view, in terms of what's the purpose of Luthwaite as the White Widow you know, associated with the 7-7 bombings, all of the perpetrators, alleged perpetrators of the 7-7 bombings were of, you know, kind of, uh, you know, Pakistani or, I mean, it, it's taken it out of the Middle East, it's taken the war of terror out of the Middle East and pushing it into Africa and then putting Luthwaite at the scene of this Westgate shopping mall uh, attack oh, last yeah. year. Even exactly. She wasn't. It seems to me that it's all a means to an end to actually Very get... convenient. It's, it's, but, very, but, it's all a little bit too convenient. It's all very convenient. It all is very convenient. And now we have, you know, Jihadi Jones. And where are they? Yeah. Another convenient location in the middle of Iraq and Syria, where we've been Syria, trying yeah. to get... We've been trying to get rid of Assad for, what, two years? Now, all of a sudden, we've got these characters showing up just in the right spot at the right time. 
you know, and it's just, it's, it's to be honest with you, if it was just a single event, maybe I'd let it go. But when it's a continual process, continually from like, what, we're talking the late 90s now, we're talking, going back to Jihadi John, I mean, this, that thing's been going since 1998, because Jihadi John's father did the, was one of the, did the first bombings of the, embassy, the U.S. Embassy in 98 in East Africa. Mm-hmm. See what I mean? So it's yeah. all a bit strange. It's all a little bit, um, I don't buy it at all. And I wouldn't imagine that anyone with a shred of intelligence would believe this. I mean, just, we shouldn't imagine that our media and our uh, you know, newspapers, television, blah, 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 is anything less than a weapon directed at us. Yeah, I, I get the impression that the stories are so kind of unbelievable, so ridiculous, like the White Widow, and uh, you know they have so many holes in them, uh, and Jihadi John and stuff. It's, it's such theatre that they have to have these people uh, carry out, you know, actual kind of gruesome murders uh, in order to kind of get make the message hit home, you know, because without that kind of stuff, that shock factor for the average person in the street. They might start to go. This all sounds like a lot of bullshit to me, you know. People might start figuring it out, you know. But the fear oh, keeps absolutely. them. Oh, absolutely. No, absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt that Azabalage, in my opinion, some people, you know, there's some people on the internet said, "Oh no, no, it, it, it somehow it never happened." No, no, no. Azabalage definitely topped Lee Rigby. There's there's no no doubt about about that. And there's definitely in Kenya. That shopping mall thing, it happened, okay? People got mm-hmm. killed. There's, that's, you can't, as you point out, there has to be some meat in the bone. Otherwise, what is it? It's just, it's, it's, otherwise, it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's not going to be, a, a, it's not going to get the desired result. And the desired result yeah. is, as we pointed out, in places like Syria and, and I'm sure at some point in the future, You'll probably have someone pop up in, say, Indonesia. Some British guy, British woman, will, uh, you know, there'll be some horrific event, and there'll be a whole backstory, and it'll link into something else, and there'll be another one. Because they seem to be, in my opinion, amping this up, and a little bit off subject, and a little bit off message, and off topic, or whatever. But if you think about it for a second... We're in 1932. It's not 2014. It's 1932. They can't print any money. The stock market is being propped by the biggest money printing program in the world. It's over. There's T minus 10 billion to go, and they're going to stop this program. When they stop this program, God only knows what's going to happen. You've got and a number of other countries doing everything they can to try and pull away from the dollar, hence the problems in the Ukraine. And they are getting very, 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 very desperate. Now, why the obsession of you know, yeah. places like Kenya, Syria, and all the rest of it is, inside, is another, another, another subject, but we're reaching a very, very critical point right now, a really critical point where undoubtedly we're sitting on a, the... the the top, the very apex 
of something that's about to come down, and they're doing everything they can to try and prop up what's left of the U.S. economy and what's how they're doing it by this massive war machine. And what happened in 1932 with the major, major collapse? Uh, well, it was actually in 1929, but 1932 obviously was the year before Hitler um, got into power, and that they are trying as hard as they can through places like, uh, well, through Israel, to create some massive war that's going to drag in as many different players as possible because Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, uh, um, the list goes, Libya, um, it's not going to do it. That isn't going to do it. That's not going to do it. What they want, what they're trying to do, is use this war on terror to engineer a real war, a real proper full scale involving me, you, and our listeners type war. And this is just bad. John, this, this is just war. This is just noise. John, you, you just mentioned uh, conflict developing in uh, Indonesia. Actually, there is Six. a precedent there with uh, the um, terrorist operation in, uh, Marriott Hotel, against the Marriott Hotel. And during your investigation, you discovered a very interesting character, Frank Lowy, who is connected Indeed. to this uh, from being Indonesia. So maybe you could tell us more about uh, Frank okay. Lowy. Okay. Well, I'm not really going to mince my words. Um, Lowy is uh, a high-level oh. Zionist. Uh, Lowy is uh, one of the richest 200 people in the world. Lowy has more money than the Queen. Um, Lowy is very good friends with Silverstein, uh, primarily through their political allegiances, which is Zionism. Um, it's, um, I, I mean, I just, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, just gonna say it. Uh, he's an Australian citizen, nominally, in the same way that, you know, these people don't really have any, they don't have a country. It doesn't make any difference if they're in New York City or Sydney or London. It doesn't make a damn piece. It doesn't make any difference. Um, but the connection with um, the Westgate shopping mall uh, and Lowy is Lowy was he, – he owns the commercial space. L Lowy owns commercial property form of shop malls, uh, shopping precincts, that sort of thing. So he had the bottom layers of, of the WTC complex, and he got a nice big fat payout along with Silverstein. The connection with uh, the Marriott in, in Indonesia and the Westgate is he's the owner. He's the venue. He is the venue for the theater. Okay? And just like the World Trade Center was the venue for the theater that was 9-11, Westgate, they thought, you know, these people aren't that imaginative. They thought, let's give Frank a call. He's always good. Ring, ring, ring. Frank, uh, we, uh, we need another venue, buddy. You know, can you help us out? Yeah, sure. I've got this uh, place in, uh, in, in, in Kenya. It doesn't make a lot of money. You can, I'll get a nice fat insurance payment again. No problems. No problems at all. Give it a day. Click. Goodbye. Good night. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. I mean, there's not much more else to say. Lowy was one of the leaseholders of 9-11, and he also owns the Westgate. 
You can call that a bizarre coincidence. You could possibly say, well, you know, he owns property here, there, and everywhere. It's just an unfortunate coincidence. Well, you know, there's a lot of unfortunate coincidences, uh, and I, I just, I just don't buy all these unfortunate coincidences. He owns the Marriott. They got bombed. There's a list of about eight or nine that I go into in my film of places that they set the backstory because you've always got to set a backstory. You can't just, you know, uh, like Luthwaite, you can't just show up and do an event and then disappear. No, 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 no. You have to have the backstory to make it believable. So there's a whole series of threats and bombings. A notable one was in Derby in England where they had to evacuate. And, you know, it's always the same story. Oh, intelligence sources and um, we got a call from blah, 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 blah. And somehow we managed to foil it at the last minute because these plots are always foiled at the last minute, aren't they? And, and that's the connection. The connection is this high-level Zionist uh, along with, with Silverstein. Yeah, yeah that's, that was a really interesting uh, bit of uh, detective work you did on on that, you know, because um, uh, it 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 provides some evidence of the of the kind of operational level of how they kind of go about carrying out and how these people are connected to each other. And um, like I said, they're not that imaginative. They don't yeah. have, you know, they're, they're not really that creative with it. And it, it's it's just like uh, there's no. There's no real way that you can you can put all those pieces together and not come to some conclusions. If you can't come to some conclusions, your head is in, your head is in the sand. You have well, to. Well, the problem some... is they're 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 unsavory conclusions for a lot of people, you know, and it's not the not not the average person who can kind of go there, you know, because it's I mean the whole the, the message that that. You have to as being delivered uh, when you really look into these things is uh, is pretty scary. It's that um, our va- vaunted kind of leaders are um, are really they're the enemy, you know, in a very real way. Oh, well, I mean, I guess that's old news, but I mean, uh, it's uh, uh, it's more scary. It's terrifying if you're involved. If you're one of the victims, yeah. it's, it's it's a lot more than terrifying. It's 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 a game changer. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, there's there's a whole um, there's a whole area there of kind of Zionist Israeli influence because I I, I I use the word Zionist and I don't like to use the word Israeli because there's a large amount of people in Israel who are very anti what's going on uh, and what's ha- what's happened to the state of Israel. So we shouldn't you know we shouldn't we shouldn't say things like the Jews, you know, oh, because it, it, that's, that's bullshit. It's an, a, a, absolute nonsense. It's a political nexus that involves a lot of different kind of power, uh, of power players, you know, and these just happen to be one group. You know, you can't say that Jeb Bush and George Bush and uh, Big Daddy Bush are Zionists. Uh, they're not but they've got some pretty good friends who are. You see my point. I mean, and it's just corralling this area of influence, fascist area of influence, because Israel is a fascist state, just as America is a fascist state, and just as the UK is a fascist state. Um, And people will go, hold on a second, there's no death camps, there's no, you know, people aren't being shoved in ovens. Uh, Well, no, 
but a lot more stuff that the Nazis would have loved to have done that never got done. The Nazis had Kristallnacht. We had 9-11, you know. So yeah. it's, 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 it's kind of like a vortex of different power players, all with extremely dark agendas where we can see and we can point the finger at. And then you go a little bit further up and further up and further up and don't get into that on this particular conversation, I don't think. But again, you have to start drawing some some conclusions here. And without any shadow of a doubt, um, Lowy fits, fits the bill perfectly. You know, absolutely perfectly. And Silverstein uh, 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 as, as well. I mean, they had a lot of... There's plenty of reasons. It's, it's, it's beneficial for all parties. Mm. There's, I was just looking at a story uh, on Luthwait, um recently. There's one in, the, in that paragon of... Uh, I don't know what you call a paragon of um, celebrity gossip, the Daily Mail in the UK. There's a yeah. story from the 14th, 14th of August, past just a couple of weeks ago, uh, on the White Widow, and they said that she has, uh, you know, reports from these uh, uh, intelligence sources say that she has a new face. She, she's, yeah. that, that the hunt for her has gone cold because... Yeah, um, because they're not supposed to find her, you see, and that she's got a new... She, yeah, not, she's never supposed to be found. She's never supposed yeah. to be found. That's why she's got a new face, you see. She was just, uh, I mean, ultimately, if she if she never appears again... Then looking back, what she her purpose was just like a boogeyman. She never, she probably didn't actually do anything of any significance, but she was used. Her her image and her her face was used, and probably willingly on her part because she got paid off for it, um, was used to create this image of a of a, of a homegrown terrorist from the UK, siding with and they, and we see how since she did that supposedly, or since she was presented in that light, we see with Cena. A real uptick in the in the attempt to promote that idea of homegrown terrorists in the UK. You know that nobody's safe. It's not just about sure. over the Middle East anymore. Yeah, the enemy like, with it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, they could. Of course. I mean, if you look at um, say, uh, okay, a plastic surgery, like I said, the plastic surgery. What in Africa? Come on, BS, nonsense. What in Somalia? What? So some. Yeah. Let me get this right. <laughs> She she got she went from Somalia to a, a, an urban center and checked in with a clinic and said, um, my name's um, Mrs. Faye Webb, because that's one of her aliases, and um, I want a new face. And um, that's it. And you know what? You know on spot? Oh, come on. I mean, nonsense. Obviously nonsense. No, she, she probably said... It's, it's, she probably it's just said as much nonsense as the idea of her being in those of you who don't know, David Webb was um, the born, born identity. Oh, yeah. That's right. name. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, the born identity. I mean, that's what this is. Samantha Luthwaite identity. Uh, no, so maybe she got it done in uh, in Somalia on the black market. You know, a couple of warlords just got a couple of machetes. Well, yeah, there a couple sure. of... I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure they probably got... They're probably a Harley Street uh, plastic surgeon who are now, you know, uh, running around Somalia um, with AKs. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Total, total normal and plausible story. Absolutely. It's just as plausible as her being there. It's 
look, there's no way she's in Somalia. There's no way she's ever been in Somalia. Okay, if you've ever been to an Islamic country, you can forget it. As a, as a female, you can forget it. Okay, they're not even allowed to drive in Saudi Arabia. So you're telling me yeah. that she, you're telling me that she's she, and all these underlings that she's got un, underneath come from this patriarchal, uh, very intense patriarchal background. Are suddenly going to start taking orders from a woman? You're joking. Yeah, absolutely. She walked in there in the Somali warlords and said, "Behold the white widow," and they all bowed down in front of her and said, "You know, uh, you know." But then maybe they did. Whenever she said she was working for MI5, maybe they all went, "Hey, can we get some of that action?" I'm sure, hand, I'm sure handing out a few checks wouldn't uh, wouldn't go, go amiss. Now, that 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 will work. A couple of checks, you know, a few fifty grand checks will do a lot of get a lot of stuff done in Africa. But it won't get your plastic surgery done in Somalia. Mm. <laughs> you know, forget. <laughs> and somehow I'm vaguely reminded of the scene from Batman where the Joker goes into some sort of backroom plastic surgeon. You know. Mm. In your documentary, you stress, a, you stress an important point. Um, you show how Samantha Luthwaite is middle class. She's Caucasian. Uh, she's yeah. quite brilliant, quite smart. She likes shopping. She's actually a very normal wo- white woman. She is. Whom many Caucasians can identify. So I suppose that depicting her as the boogeyman, as the radical Islamic boogeyman, totally increase the fear factor because it means it's not about remote male bearded jihadist plotting in a cave in Afghanistan but it means that anyone can be a terrorist that's the Your point I mean that's what, yeah I mean you've hit that's you've just hit the nail directly on the head I mean the, it, in a way it's irrelevant what her religion is it's kind of irrelevant the fact that she's it, look, in the 70s, she probably would have been uh, a Marxist bomb thrower in Berlin. Exactly. Okay? You know, in, in, in the 60s, she probably would have been uh, in the weathermen. You know? And we all know about those guys. It doesn't mm-hmm. really matter because that's not... The focus is not so... It is on one level anti-Islam, but the real focus here is anti, anti-dissent anti-dissent it's it's saying that look this this white woman i.e your girlfriend your neighbor your daughter your uh mommy in the case of jihadi jane uh they are the they are the evil it's not us at the top it's you guys at the bottom that's why we need all the cameras and that's why we that's why we need uh, you know the constant surveillance that's why we need the police brutality that's why we need all the violence that's why we need all the continual war because we've got such a chronic problem with people just like you I meaning me and meaning you mm-hmm. so the real I mean yeah. that's really the thrust of my video I mean the real thrust of my video to be totally frank with you is it is the um totally fallacious nature of, of the war on terror. The war on terror is never really about destroying uh, Islam, as a lot of other people seem to suggest. It, it's not setting up the Crusades. You know, it's not about some new crusade. It's not about that at all. It's about a worldwide 
worldwide, complete control, complete control grid, where to all intents and purposes, it's Brave New World slash 1984 on steroids. Yeah, it's tragic. It's tragic because you have a lot of UK people or people in the US who support this uh, farce, the war on terror. They pay taxes to support this effort. They believe the lie. They think it's for their freedom. They think we're going to get rid of terrorists in remote countries. They don't realize that actually they support the very own scheme that ultimately target them, their freedom, yeah. their own life. Yeah. It, it, the whole thing's a ridiculous proposition. I was thinking last night, okay, what is the worst case scenario uh, that the so-called war on terror is, is afraid of? The United States has never been invaded, ever, and it's never going to. The United Kingdom hasn't been invaded since 1066, and it's never... It, it, it's, what, are these people going to mount some sort of like... Because if they're, if they're not doing that, I'm not interested. If they're not on my doorstep with an AK, a la, you know, the Second World War, you know, if they're not in uh, Paris or, or France, where, you know, somewhere in France, like the Second World War, where you did have a genuine, you know, right-in-your-face threat... Uh, where they were rounding up Jewish people and they were sending in weapons. And if, if that's not happening, then I'm not interested. But what is the threat? What is exactly the threat? Think about it for a second. What exactly do they think? We all, they always say the same thing. Oh, it's to protect the citizens. No, it's not. No, it is not. Because all the evidence, the only, the only incidents that have happened, from my opinion, and I would probably imagine your opinions too, has come via the state. If we accept that the state organized 9-11 and organized Madrid, which there's a huge amount of evidence to suggest that they did, I mean, that's my opinion, again, I'm not trying mm -hmm. to force that down his throat, then, then, then there is nothing. There is nothing. What are they, I mean, you've heard this uh, recently heard reports that somehow ISIS come through Mexico into America. I mean, come on, guys. I mean, it's, it's, it's getting so far beyond plausible, and there is no threat. Let, if they want to set up an Islamic state in Iraq, then let the Iraqi people deal with that. If they can't deal with it, then perhaps an Iraqi state needs to be set up there. That's none of our business. We're not, we're not you know, America isn't this uh, world police force that's going to go every single tiny area of the world and, d and drop daisy cutters on. It's a ridiculous proposition. The whole proposition behind the war on terror, just the fundamental proposition that you are in danger, that at any moment uh, a bomb is going to be let off on a train that you're on, is absolute, utter nonsense. Okay? The only people in the United Kingdom who fought an effective war against the um, British state was the IRA. Okay? And that was like what, 40 years ago now? There is yeah, nothing. absolutely. Uh, yeah, we, I, we, we agree with you on, on pretty much everything you said there. Um, it well, is, yeah. Go ahead, I Jason. think there are like two factors to it. I mean, obviously the first is, is that creating these fake homegrown terror things obviously legitimizes the, the, the policies of the government that are internal 
that uh, allow them to militarize the police force and uh, and do all these other things. But I think that it also serves a secondary purpose. And in a certain sense, it uh, makes it so that people are terrified of being critical of the government because it's too easy. Oh, you're like the white widow then, huh? You know, this whole black and white, you're either for the government or you're for the terrorists. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no. hey, wait a minute, I don't like either of you guys, to be quite honest. I, I don't give a shit about the Islamic fascists, and, and I, I don't quite like you either. Actually, I'm yeah. over here, and I'm, both of you suck. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't care about the Islamic fascist revolution, and I also don't care about your national security state. I think both of them are, are, are bullshit. And you can't have that third or because people have been polarized. You're either with us or against us. You're either for the government you get, you, or totally. terrorists. Totally. I mean, you get another level beyond that where you get self-policing. If you, when I say self-policing, it means when I then go and speak to and have a conversation with another person, they'll be like, hang on, shut your mouth or I'll punch, it, I'll punch your face in it if you say anything about X, Y, and Z. So you get, you get, it actually, you get a system in place where the powers that be can step back a little bit and it'll self, it'll, it's self-running, it's self-policing. And you, you, everyone, I would imagine, who's listening and who's uh, in, in, the, in the room right now would probably have had that experience. Talk to oh, yeah. uh, you know, someone and they say, listen, man, if you say another word, I'm going to punch your face in because, uh, you know, I'm, I, 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 I'm for Uncle Sam and our troops are out there dying and they're fighting and they're doing it for you and me. So don't say another damn word about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My favorite is that what I, what I call 9-11 syndrome, which is like suddenly after 9-11, whenever I would talk to somebody about it, they would say, yeah, but my cousin's brother's ex-girlfriend's uh, former roommate died in 9-11. It's like everybody has so much yeah. that died in 9-11 all of a sudden. Whenever you talk to them, they're like, yeah, but I knew somebody who died, so shut, the, shut your mouth, you know? Yeah. And you're just like... Yeah all these people that are so connected and I, I call it a syndrome I think that they've made it up in their head to make it more personal well, because well, they're like, they, they love it yeah they also I mean even for the people who aren't connected to people who died you know in, in some phony terror attack uh, nowadays it's like you get the same reaction you get the same fear based reaction from people simply because they had to watch Jihadi John cutting the head of someone cutting the head of uh, James Foley on, on TV or, or read about it they're almost as traumatized by having that kind of stuff forced on them as they are by, you know, having, knowing someone who actually died. You but know? who actually it's, believes that when a person acts that way? I mean, these are people who spend all of their day watching violence constantly, the worst but violence, they, people getting their, their chests ripped open and blown and up and all this stuff. stuff yeah. we, 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 everyone's talking about how desensitized we are to violence, and then we get the slight intimation that some guy got... That it's actually real. That it's actually real. And everyone's like, oh, I'm so scarred. It's warped my fragile mind. Oh, God. <laughs> and you're like, dude, really? Seriously? What world do you live in? I think that they're just... I don't know. They're like the drama like queens, you know? We live in, unfortunately... Yeah. We, we've, come to, we've come to, like I said, a, a really critical point where, unfortunately, I mean... When I said earlier on when we we started this conversation that we are the 1%, you know, people always talk about the 99%. No, no, it's actually the opposite. We're the 1%. The 99% are in deep, deep doo-doo. And you've got 1% trying as hard as they can, as you guys are, to try and Mm -hmm. form a 
uh, fight this tidal wave of propaganda and um, nonsense and uh, fairy tale and 1984-type reality. Uh, and we've got a situation now where, effectively, they have won. I mean, if I woke up tomorrow morning and the UK said, listen, we're going to start monitoring all online conversations for uh, potential terrorists, I would not be surprised to find myself on that list tomorrow morning. I would not be at all surprised, and I would not be at all surprised if I got that knock on the door. I wouldn't be surprised, not at all. And it's, it's, a, it's a critical kind of moment where we're about to descend into a nightmarish reality and I, that, to be honest with you, won't come, won't come into full... Uh, full effect for probably about another 10 or 20 years, but it's, you don't have to be a genius to, to work this out. And that's what really annoys me, is the fact that if I can work it out, good God, surely my neighbors can work it out. You know, it's not rocket science here. You know, it's not, it's not as if uh, we're, we're trying to pr promote uh, a round world in the Middle Ages here. You know, it's mm -hmm. pretty, pretty obvious stuff, you know. In a certain sense, maybe we are, though. I mean, I heard, a, I heard a great quote, and it's one of my favorite quotes of all time by some guy I was talking about, and he said, the problem in the Middle Ages was not that the world was round that people had a problem with. It was that the world wasn't flat. Mm -hmm. They had so yeah. committed themselves to yeah. the idea that it was flat that they got quite angry when it turned out that it was round all along. They don't like change. Yeah, I mean, and... and and it's the same thing. It's not really the fact that the government is 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 run by evil people. Uh, it, it's 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 that it's that you know the government isn't good. It's not protecting them. It's not helping them. Mm. It, and they've believed in that for so long. They've been taught that that suddenly they just they don't want to accept it, even though it's completely and totally obvious. Another another real problem is when you get, like I was saying earlier on. There's a huge economic factor behind all of this where effectively it's over. I mean, the, the modern Western capitalist world that, you know, McDonald's and drive-in movies and the Super Bowl on the Sunday is pretty much OVR. It's over. And uh, you've only got to, I mean, I talk to a lot of people in the States and there's absolutely no doubt that it's got to a really critical point in America where they are just desperate. They are just desperate. And that's just my, that's my reading of it. And that's why yeah. they started pumping out this desperate stuff. It's desperate stuff for desperate, me you know, desperate measures for desperate times. They'll do anything to hang on to a late 20th century lifestyle. You know, and that's another yeah. reason why they want to punch our faces in when they talk to it. It's like, hang on, I'm under all this stress. I'm under all this pressure economically. I, 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 all I can get is a part-time job, and I'm lucky to get that. My, my wife's just left me because I don't own, own enough. I can't afford to drive to work because the petrol's so high or gasoline is so high. You know, it, it, it's, it, there's a huge economic elephant in the room, you know, that isn't going away anytime soon. It's not going away anytime soon. And rather than reorganizing our society and trying to sort of uh, pull away from a late 20th century sort of paradigm, no, no, no. We're going to go to war eternally to maintain it. We're going to brutalize the rest of the world eternally until we're the last people 
the United Kingdom, Europe, and America specifically, holding the chips. And that's really, you know, it's a big factor of this. There's a, it's a large poker game where they're having to shove all in. Yeah, I think you're totally on the money there, John. Um, but I suppose until, uh, until all the lights go out, we'll, uh, we'll just keep fighting the good fight. Listen, we're reaching the kind of top of the hour here, so we're going to have to uh, wrap it up. Um, sure. Thanks a million. Thanks a million for being on. Just want to say to our listeners that uh, they need to check out your 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 film, um, White Widow, the Samantha Luthwaite conspiracy. It's on YouTube and it's excellent. And share it around and get it under as many people's noses as possible. Okay, John. Thanks a million. It's been an absolute pleasure. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Man. All right. Thank you. John. Take care. Bye bye. Thank bye. you very much, John. Bye. All right, folks. Uh, I'm not sure how that came across for us. It was a bit kind of choppy a lot of a yeah. lot of the time, but that's the wonders of Skype for you. Um, uh, I think it was a bit better for uh, for our listeners, at least that's the the word I was getting that they weren't getting it quite so bad as we were. But um, it was quite choppy for a lot of us. Anyway, um, we'll be back next week with our guest. Next week is William Patrick Patterson. He's the author of a number of books on George Gurdjieff. We will be talking to him struggle with next Sunday, same time, same place. Thanks to all our listeners and our chatters and all our and all our <clears throat> all our people everywhere. Shout out to them. Until then, have a good one. Have a good one, bye.